NG Poland and JS Poland conferences are coming soon. This year promises to be exceptional. We will see the Angular team on the stage. We will see quick creator, solid JS creator, experts from Google, Microsoft, Amazon, Cisco, Old Zero, and many, many more. Join an amazing group of developers like you today. Let's come together to celebrate Angular and JavaScript. Go to ngpoland.pl and sign up now. What's up, everyone? This is Dariusz Kalbarczyk, co-founder of MG Poland, JS Poland, AngularMaster.dev, and WorkshopFest.dev. Welcome back to the Angular Master Podcast. Today, together with Shai Resnik, who is an excellent speaker, trainer, founder, and CEO at HiResIO and TestAngular.com, we will tell you how to add tests to an Angular application in an easy way. Hi, Shai. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Uh, thank you. Thank you. For those who don't know you yet, please uh, tell us about yourself. Uh, so I was born in uh, 1983 um, to a lovely family. And No, I'm <laughs> kidding. Uh, so I'm Shai Resnik. Uh, I'm the founder of HiRes.io, uh, where I focus on teaching uh, web development uh, in an innovative and fun way. Uh, mainly focusing on testing or what I call test-effective development, which aims to you know, reduce the amount of waste development teams have in each sprint by 20-30% uh, by teaching them cost-effective techniques on how to test their code. So um, I focus on that and also innovative new web technologies like uh, quick and like, you know, what we will do as web developers in like two to three years time. So I'm passionate about teaching, uh, about web development, about innovation, creating tools, open source, you know, all the, all this type of things and entertainment. So I like to entertain people and to, you know, take boring topics and make them more interesting and, and such. So this is me in a nutshell. That sounds and amazing. Also, forgot to to mention that uh, I have testangular.com which is uh, my um, uh, my angular testing focused uh, website where you can you know check out my angular testing courses uh, see demos and also like uh, get for you or your team um, you know each of the bundles and such so that's where all of the magic happens so, yeah. so tests are boring? <laughs> uh, yes, yes. Yes and no. A lot, a lot of, a lot of uh, things in programming, uh, you know, a lot of uh, topics are boring um, most of the time. And it depends on how you, you know, uh, learn them. I used to learn uh, computer science when I was in high school. It was like my major or something like that. And that was super boring to me. And I think uh, I had like, you know, teachers who weren't like too passionate about the topic. So when you ask them what, what what's an algorithm, for example, they answered with 
it's an algorithm, you know, something like that, right? So I, I, I really, really like disliked the topic and I found it super boring and only rediscovered it after like a couple of years and found that I really am passionate about it because I found a different way to learn it. So I think the way you learn stuff is uh, impacting the way, uh, how much you're passionate about the topic or not. And so testing can be super boring and can be super annoying if you maybe learning in a certain way and also if you don't if you don't really understand what's the point behind it so i think you know these two things are good you know things to talk about and yeah today. exactly so um why tests are important yeah so that's a good question testing is something that everybody knows that or or hears that they need to add but you know most of us don't do it, you know, or they just delete the spec file when you generate a component or something like that. Um, or just say to yourself, oh, okay, tomorrow I will do it and tomorrow never comes or, you know, yeah, next sprint will do it. Now, uh, for a lot of years, I felt about, you know, or I, 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 you know, advocated for, you know, edit tests, but just saying, yeah, it's important. Like I was taught, you know, it's important to do it. It's like, you know, some, but it's something that uh, needs to be done. But in recent years, I started to actually measure stuff. So instead of just saying, hey, you need to do it, because the concept makes sense. Everything a robot can do, it should do <laughs> instead of us, right? Exactly. Or else we won't have any automation in the world, right? Think about like car manufacturing. You know, if we needed to assemble the car by hand, we won't have any advancement in this field, right? So the same goes for software. If a robot can check repeated, uh, repetitively uh, your program that you just wrote, it should do it and not you because you should focus your time on more creative stuff. But the, 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 the deal is, or the, the, the problem is, is that it takes time to learn how to master it and also to know what is effective, meaning what tests should I write and what shouldn't I write or like I shouldn't write and what should I focus on to bring the most confidence and efficiency you know, and that, that's the idea behind test effective development is the combination between com confidence and efficiency, not just what brings me the most confident, because then I will just like waste my time on fighting with, you know, slow tests or like uh, the tests that keep, keeps, keep on breaking. So, um, so I started like measuring the impact of tests in, in companies. And I realized that when you add the right combination of tests and testing techniques into the you know the culture of the company and the and the development teams you can actually reduce the amount of unexpected bug fixing um, time or tasks by 20 to 30% each sprint now think about a large company with several development teams if you can reduce their 
time waste by 20 to 30%, think about how much money it saves your company to do that. Because if you don't have any automation, if you don't have, if you rely only on one QA person to check the entire validity of the entire team and they have like, you know, only that much time to do it, you know, once, you know, one day it's sprint or something like that, or you have to wait until you push that. Um, and, and worst case is that you don't have even worse. If you don't have the QA uh, person and you just like rely on manually testing stuff, you know, by hand, probably miss stuff. And then on the next sprint, you get this like tap on the shoulder. Hey, um, production is down. <laughs> so stop what you're doing and go fix that. And then you, you know, find yourself, okay, I planned, you know, I invested all this time to plan the sprint with this type of test. I'm under pressure because I, I, I'm obligated to finish them. Now I need to stop and lose focus and lose context of what I was doing to go and try and debug this weird bug in production that I introduced like last week, but only now people saw it or, or even worse, like I'm getting a call in like 3 a.m. to, you know, because I pushed like some code that until the build time was over, uh, you know, it's only like got introduced in the night and now we need to fix that and all that stuff. Okay. That creates lots of waste. Fixing bugs is unmeaningful work. It's not meaningful work. It's not something that you actually, you know, benefits the client or the end user because bugs shouldn't be there in the first place. And it also creates lots of stress and, you know, frustration in developers themselves because they need to, you know, keep constantly be on the alert of, I'm not sure 100% that what I just did didn't break anything and keep being in this constant state of stress of like, when will I get this, you know, call or tap on the shoulder or like, you know, Slack message or whatever telling me to stop what I'm doing and go and fix something unrelated to what I'm doing now. Now, so if you can reduce this, you cannot probably eliminate it by 100% because we're still human. We still do mistakes. But if you can introduce enough automation that catches stuff, you, you can reduce the waste in your development um, test, save a lot of money for the company. You know, it could be like, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not a million dollars, depending on the size of the teams. And, a year, right? And also get to a um, get to a place where your company can go from you know releasing once every two weeks or once a month into releasing daily multiple times. It opens the gate towards continuous delivery, which is one of the most important factors in a company growth rate because. You know, companies like, for example, I did some case studies about companies like Qui, uh, like uh, sorry, like Wix, 
and um, and Monday and like other fast growing companies who used automation and test testing automation in order to you know move to continuous delivery in order to re- like iterate fast on improvements and move faster and grow faster because they didn't have to rely on humans to manually you know do stuff and could grow much faster so that's the why testing I feel is super important and the how to do it is also super important because if you do it the wrong way or if you try or start the wrong way then it could lead to you know um, adoption problems and you can give up on this and and all that stuff so that, that's what what I feel that you know in angular specifically there are a couple of uh, problems that uh, hurt the adoption and they are actually <laughs> in the documentation itself so that's why I feel it's important to talk about it and you know share it with with the, with the world to let them know what which mistakes to avoid you're listening angular master podcast listen code repeat everything you need to know to become an angular super developer so let's talk about angular why testing angular is difficult or or is easy if you go and read the documentation and you try to learn that or even the most you know if you go on youtube or learn the most you know uh, common sense or common uh, wisdom let's say about uh, testing angular you will see the same um, reiteration of ideas around what you should test for example um, you will see a lot that you need to test the dome meaning compile the component and trigger events and you know test the out, outcome of the, those events uh, you will see a lot of um, of of when 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 you for example search how to test observables if you have like observable if and even if you go to the documentation again for angular you will see that even they suggest and recommend uh, using marble testing uh, for testing observables and and these are just two of you know examples which if you follow these examples blindly and most of people who don't have experience with the downsides of these uh, you know um, things will are setting themselves up for a failure that's what I saw over and over again because and we'll talk more about why but these things and these recommendations leads to frustration and then it leads to you know the belief that testing is too difficult in angular it's it doesn't it's not worth it and we should just avoid it and just like uh, focus on you know end to end test or qa they, they will test it and we'll just like you know and we fall back to the old habits of testing in the browser manually and such so and <laughs> which makes us testers right uh, i always say it people say okay i don't i don't write tests 
I don't, I don't test my code uh, because I don't believe in it. And I always tell them back, you do test your code, you just do it, doing it inefficiently, okay? Because you're doing it in the browser manually and not having a robot doing it for you. So you just, you are doing it because if you don't test it at all, how can you call yourself a professional developer without like checking that your work is valid before pushing it to, you know, to Git or to the repo or to GitHub or to production eventually, right? You must test it somehow before you push it or else you're, I don't think like uh, you can call yourself a professional, any, like any profession, right? You cannot call yourself a pro if you cannot stand behind your work. If you're a plumber and you do some work and you don't check that the water goes from one end to the other, you're not a professional pr- plumber, right? So that's the way I feel about testing as well. And the idea is behind it is confidence. I do what I do for confidence. I teach because I want to learn better also, and I want more confidence in my knowledge about what I'm doing. And also I test and I teach about testing because I care about the confidence it gives us as developers to know that we didn't break anything. And I don't like the constant state of stress. So I try to reduce it with what I'm doing, with the tools I'm creating and with the material I'm teaching. So now let's talk about what are like, like the two examples that I gave, uh, dome testing and marble testing, okay? So dome testing, like I said, dome testing is when you create a, you compile the component and you trigger events on the template or like the, you know, the HTML or the compiled component um, and check the results. Now, there are a couple of problems uh, in Angular specifically, it results in a sl- in slower tests. Okay, that's one problem. In another problem of it, which is not Angular specific, is that it increases the complexity of your environment. Meaning, every depending on which component you compile, if you compile, let's say, a parent component or a grandparent, which has lots of you know, child components and grandchild and, and grandchildren and, and such. If you're high up on the tree, you increase the complexity of your test because now you don't only need to worry about this, that specific component. You also need to worry about all of its ch- child components and their child components. So you need to now you know use techniques like um you know uh mocking the child components and figuring out how to test the interaction between them um and also symmetrically figure out how to test their interaction like the child components interaction with your component on the other on their tests and such um and most of the time like when people begin with angular they don't see even the technique to mock or to fake the child components. So they just try to compile the, you know, the root component or something like that. And they encounter so many errors 
of like these weird services that are, that are not being, you know, imported or, or this weird, like, you know, um, uh, third party, you know, components for like Angular material or like, you know, other stuff. And the recommendation is to use like a shared module, which, which you import into your, you know, spec file or test bed. And that introduced more slowness and more problems because now you need to <laughs> import all of its dependencies. So it creates lots of friction unnecessarily where you just wanted to test a simple interaction between your components. So you wanted to test your log the logic of your component. Now, so um so that's one problem that you know people encounter where they when they start testing uh the DOM. Now, if a company has a requirement that you must have tests, people figure out a way. So I did some research about how people are testing their code in enterprise level applications. I talk with the uh, you know narwhal team i talk with other companies that work with enterprise application i did research in you know i know what i do with my you know uh, clients but i want to see what others are doing as well and everybody is falling back to the same technique basically they are using what i what i call class testing meaning you take the component class and you instantiate it and just test its method without compiling the DOM. Now you can say, okay, but I'm losing the confidence between the template and the class, right? I don't know if, uh, you know, I wired things correctly. If I e even added the event listener from the button to the method, right? Yes, you are losing that confidence, but you are gaining efficiency and that's the balance between like the confidence and efficiency. You're gaining efficiency by not running like, um, you know, I did an experiment where I took 10,000 tests and ran them with DOM tests versus class tests. Uh, I think it was 10,000 or 1,000. I don't remember. Like either 1,000 or 10,000, but it was like a significant amount. And the first, and it was like a super simple test. It wasn't like, just like creating a component and checking something on it, right? Not even with, uh, I don't know, lots of, uh, I don't know, logic and, and loops and all that stuff. And do you know how much time? So so the, the DOM testing took one minute to run. Like the, I don't know, 1,000 or like the 10,000 tests. Anyway, the amount of tests. So, Derek, do you know how much time the class testing took in terms of running compared to one minute? So, because in class testing, you don't need to compile the DOM, right? You just yeah. like create a new class. So, it took one second. So, time 60, okay? Um, that's the efficiency you get by using this technique. Now, you... You say, okay, but there are times that you might want to test the DOM. And what I say about that is that you might want to do it only for reusable components. 
Why? Because usually they are the leaves of your tree. You don't need to worry about interacting with child components. And they are, most, they are more crucial because they are being used at multiple places. And if you have a bug there, you, you affect a lot of places in your code or in your application. So you want to test, you want to get, gain the most confidence and there are usually like, you know, less of them and they don't introduce anyway the child component problem and the importing of other third-party libraries and lots of, you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, let's say uh, dependent imports and all that stuff. So you want to reduce it to just testing it in reusable components. Now, if you're using something like Storybook, uh, you can use it with Cypress, which would be even more fun to test. So, uh, so that's my recommendation. Now, I'm still doing the research on it. I know that the Angular team are, you know, trying to figure out a way now to make it much faster and much better. I started working on a tool back in, you know, 2018 um, about how to make it much easier to, you know, write tests for and to to test like root components. But I stopped because the efficiency wasn't, you know, uh, good enough. And, but now with the advancements, now with, with changes that the Angular team are planning for, you know, testbed, I might, you know, start uh, and go back to, you know, um, implementing this tool or like releasing the tool that I started working on. And, and my recommendation might change. If I can get to the same efficiency level, like one one second of running like, you know, so many tests, then it will be a good recommendation. But again, I'm all about test effective development, which is like, okay, what's the balance? Okay, I'm losing the confidence, but what am I gaining? I'm gaining enough efficiency, then the confidence, how much confidence am I losing and is it worth it? And if it if if it is, then I'm recommending that. Okay, but it keeps changing, keep evolving and I keep researching it uh, to know what's the latest uh, um you know, advancement. So that's why I'm saying like, you know, Follow what I'm doing on Twitter or like, you know, on testangular.com or something like that. Um, and I keep like updating. I have like a new live stream that I do every week and I'm, I'm going to do it for test effective specifically to share like, you know, the research and all that stuff and to interview people. So again, that's, that's one way to, to, to keep updated about the research. But as of now, that's what I'm recommending. Don't go for the default that you see in the Angular documentation about DOM testing. So that's DOM testing versus class testing. Now, the second recommendation that I talked about was marble testing. First of all, it was super cryptic to me to understand what is going on in marble tests, like trying to read the syntax, because it was intuitive to me at first when I tried to understand, like, so what are those symbols mean? And then what you do, you go to Google and try to Google it. And then you get to some blog post. And then you try the examples on the blog post. And then you realize that the blog post is talking about one library of marble testing. 
but you are actually using a different library of of marble testing. For example, you have RX Marbles, I think, and you have like um which comes from and you have like the RxJS marbles like coming like the original from RxJS. And you have Jasmine Marbles, which was created by the NGRX team, uh, which has a slightly different syntax. So it makes has, mess. Yeah, and has no documentation, by the way. So you need to read the source code in order to understand what, what is the diff, specific difference. And also then, once you understand it, you try to play with like, wait, so I need to add here a dash to make it work because it doesn't work and the error message doesn't tell you why. And you know, all of this just to test that the observable does what it needs to do. And I just couldn't handle it. So for a lot of, you know, for a long time, I just, you know, stuck with like just subscribing to the observable and adding like, you know, the expectation inside of the subscribe or something like that, just to see that I'm getting, because most of the tests are simple. Hey, I'm subscribing. This is the value I expect to get. Okay. Um, sometimes you get into a more difficult situation or complicated situation where you want to, you know, have uh, time-based operations. For example, you, you know, after three seconds, you want to do something and you want to, you know, maybe debounce or maybe cancel, maybe switch map and maybe, you know, all, all that stuff. And then you actually need to control the time. But even then, marble testing still is the co- the more complicated solution, both to learn, the, the learning curve is steep, and also to maintain or for others, like others reading your test, if they're not super experts on it, it takes them a while to understand what what is happening in the test. So what I decided to do is I, I, I had to find a way to to solve it, you know, for my tests and also to solve it for when I, because I'm, again, I'm teaching about Angular testing and I want to teach about, you know, people kept asking me for how do I test complicated observables? You know, this is the hardest thing about <laughs> Angular testing, which is not Angular related, it's RxJS. But if you go to the documentation, you will see that the, the recommendation is to use Jasmine Marbles, which has no documentation, okay? But this is the, the recommended way by the Angular doc. So I think this is, again, contributing to the, uh, to the lack of adoption of testing because people are seeing this, they're trying Okay, let's do this marble thing. Oh, what the hell is that? Okay, no, no, thank you. Okay, I'm not going to test uh, my observer. I'm just going to subscribe here. Or I'm just like going to give up altogether about testing because it's too complicated. So what I did is I, I started looking at, I started thinking about like, I, first I tried to look at other, I don't know, you know, solutions in JavaScript. I couldn't find any solutions to testing observables other than marble testing. And then I thought about, wait, there are other languages that, that use uh, Rx, like reactive extensions. 
for example, like .NET or Java, they have Rx Java. So I started reading books about Rx Java and, and .NET just to see how they test their code. And I got into Rx Java book and they had a section about testing and they had a, an idea there called subscriber spy where you pass a subscriber that just like collects all the values that it gets, you know, from the observable. And then you can like, you know, uh, spy on it or like interrogate it or like get the values uh, in the expectation. And I thought that's such a simple idea and it's not implemented. You know, sometimes you encounter an idea which is too simple and you think to yourself, okay, probably, you know, somebody already did it because it's so simple. But then I searched for it in JavaScript that, and there wasn't anything like that. So I created a, a library called Observer Spy. And I just, you know, I credited, you know, the Rx Java book, the, where the idea came from, and just like wrote a JavaScript version of this idea. And other people um, joined the, the GitHubs, um, like uh, Thomas Burleson and, you know, others, uh, and Eunice, and to, to suggest their ideas on how to simplify it and added like you know if, even simplify the API more where you just use one function called subscribe spy to you give it an observable and you get an observer spy from it and then you can just you know ask it okay give me your values or did you get an error or what was the order of the values that you received and that's it you just write expectation and your test become flat and readable. So super, super simple. And it simplifies how you write your, you know, observable test or ArcGIS test uh, by a lot. Now, for the more complicated examples, for example, where you need to control time, I had a, a library which I created uh, way before called Autospies. So, for example, if you think about, let's take a practical example. Let's say you have a, a, a component with a product um, list, okay? And it depends on a product service where you fetch all the products. And it's an observable because you're using Angular, and for some reason, Angular loves, you know, observables for fetching data. Uh, <laughs> so, you are depending on that, okay? And... Now for, you know, you have like a complicated logic there with like switch map or like with like a, you know, a, a delay and all that stuff. And you want to test that because if it just was about, you know, fetching the observable products, it was an easy, you know, uh, easy one. So if you're using Autospies, you can cater both to the, or you can, you can deal with both uh, scenarios, the easy one and the more complicated one. The easy one is you get, let's say you have get products uh, as the method on the product service, which returns an, obser an observable. Because you, you're typing the return type, 
Autospice knows how to create the helper methods that allows you to configure the returning observable, meaning you can do like, you know, product service by dot get products dot, if you're using, for example, uh, Jasmine, eh, 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 dot end dot next with, and then you can provide this like array of products. And this will create an observable which returns uh, which returns the or emits this array of products. And you can do it in, in one line without complicating stuff. Um, and this is the simple scenario of just returning uh, a value from uh, an observable, okay, that is on your dependent service. Now, if you want a more complicated example where you need to configure stuff, you can, Autospice has methods for that as well. You can create like, you know, a, an observable, which has like a delay, you know, like the first item comes with a delay of like, I don't know, 200 milliseconds. The second item comes with a delay of, or comes immediately. Uh, and the third one is with a delay of three seconds, and then it completes. Okay, you can define all of that in Autospice and just return this observable. And this solved the second problem because if you think about marble testing, what marble testing allows you to do is to define uh, or define this uh, observable uh, streams where you define how many frames are uh, being like uh, or are, are are many how many frames are between each value of the observable stream okay so for example the first value and then two frames and then the second value and then three frames and then the third value and such and you can define like if it's completes or if it errors or stuff like that but you do all that using this sign language that is specific for marble testing, okay? Now, deciding how many frames are passing between the values where you don't really need it, okay? Those are what I call implementation details, okay? Like knowing how many exact frames are passing between the second value and the third value, like if it's three or four, and if, if you don't know it, your test fails, this is what adding friction to your test. And what I suggest, or what I'm saying is that you don't really want to focus on that in your test. And in order to make things simpler, you want to think about uh, your test as a black box, black box, meaning if I'm subscribing to my observable, let's say using, you know, observe spy, if enough time passes by passing the time using, uh, let's say, you know, uh, fake async or something like that by Angular, 
if enough time passes, then I want to check that the, the result is what I'm expecting it to be. For example, I got two values and this is their order. Or I got just one value or I got an error or I got, you know, some kind of an outcome. I don't want, I don't care about how much time was passing between each value because this is an implementation detail because in real life, the user will, you know, just wait two seconds and then we'll see the result. Okay. Now, that's what I care about in my test. In my logic, of course, I have like, you know, logic that, you know, handles different type of, you know, times or different type of scenarios and all that stuff. But in my test, I just want to set up the spies, pass enough time and check the result. Okay. Now, this is, this you can do with auto spies as well. So the combination of auto spies and observer spy together removes the need for marble testing entirely. So you don't really need to use or to know about marble testing if you use the combination of auto spies and observer spies, which are free and open source and you can use it today. So this is, you know, in a nutshell. Now, testing observables, because the nature of observables is like, their nature is more complicated. Um, there are techniques that are developed in, on how to test them in a, in a way that makes sense because especially if you have like large or like long observable chains where you add like more operators, you want a specific technique to test them in a way that uh, makes them easy, the test easier to read and easier to maintain and such. And this is a different topic, but this is because of the nature of observables, which are harder to test because ArcGIS is a low-level tool, um, which is being used a lot in Angular. And I believe that you know the direction moving forward. I hope that they will take it into a more more, more simpler way of doing reactivity. Um, and ArcGIS will be used only for the more complicated scenarios that really, really need the power of, you know, Rx uh, for that, that those scenarios. But for the most, you know, simple, most simple scenarios or the most common ones, you won't need RxJS. But that's speculation. That's part of what uh, the team talked about in NGConf, in their keynote, in their other talks that are thinking about maybe a, a simpler future uh, for reactivity in Angular, which is, uh, you know, gives us hope. <laughs> um, but if you need to test your more complicated observable chain, especially in NGRX effects, for example, where you have like multiple uh, operators and they're more complicated, the combination of autospices and observer observer spies and the techniques that I'm teaching in my courses uh, about, you know, advanced observable testing or NGRX testing uh, will give you the complete combination of how to do it in a maintainable and test effective way. So to sum, sum it up, uh, the two mistakes that I talked about are using DOM testing for all of your components 
I think this is a mistake, especially in the beginning, when you just when you don't have any knowledge about testing, starting with DOM testing, it could lead to a lot of frustration, a lot of like running after tests and fixing them. And, you know, this can discourage you from writing a test. So what I suggest is start with class testing, get good at class testing. This is the simpler way to test and will give you, um, you know, most of the benefit because most of your logic is in the classes of your components and services. Um, and use DOM testing just for the reusable components and, and practice that. Again, until until I will find a more efficient way, this is my recommendation. Uh, and it will allow you to, you know, reduce the, or, you know, the learning curve, okay, or to make it uh, easier. And the second one is don't use marble testing, use Observer Spy and AutoSpy together in order to achieve the same, uh, same result with much simpler and easier to maintain syntax. Okay, and this will make your Angular testing much easier and much uh, um, uh, much easier to write and much easier to adopt. The next question is, what advice do you have for those uh, who are starting a new project versus those who want to add tests to an existing large project? New projects is, you know, is the easier way, right? Because you're starting from scratch and... I suggest that um, you sooner you can start with, you know, uh, writing in TDD, meaning once you have, once you are over the POC period, okay, we are done with that, you know that this is the direction you want to go with. Um, start getting good at writing tests so you can switch the order and write the test first. And I teach a very simple technique on how to do it. Um, and that way you get all the benefits of uh, actually writing the test and not leaving it as the last thing you, you do on the sprint, which you most of the time never get to because there are always unexpected things and you're always like pushing it to the last moment and you don't get to even write the test. So I suggest like, you know, the, the, the sooner you can add TDD, the test-driven development technique when you write the test before you write the code, the better. Um, so that this is for new projects. The, the recommendation for existing projects is to do it in um, to do it in a way that um, is gradual, meaning start with the low hanging fruit first. The low-hanging fruit in testing are pure functions, are simple services. You know, these are the best places to start adding tests to, which don't require a lot of um, setup, knowledge, and, and, and such. Because the, the, the crucial thing about testing is to adopt it as a habit. And to get good at the syntax, being familiar with the syntax, with the technique of what do I even test, what are the parts of the test, and all that stuff. 
So choosing the simplest things to, to, to write tests for is the best approach that I found and to start adopting it. Because then when you get to the more difficult parts, you, you don't have, you know, you already have the knowledge the, or the basic knowledge of how to write the test. So you don't need, need to, you know, deal with both things. You can deal with just trying to find a way to, you know, refactor the complicated code in order to test it or, you know, how to approach it and, you know, get advice from people like me or people like, like other people who teach about testing um, about how to approach the difficult scenario. But you don't need to deal with, like, the complexity of, oh, I don't know how to even write tests, so I don't know even how to approach this difficult scenario and write a test for it, so I'm just giving up on the entire things whatsoever or altogether. Um, so that's how to start with, okay? And what I suggest is not to try and stop develop. It's not. It's not actually realistic to stop development and you know add a bunch of tests because you know um, you, you can do it for months without actually benefiting the end user. So gradually adding tasks, you know, in each sprint, start with like one service, then introduce like, you know, adding to five services and adding to more code and adding code coverage as a tool to let you know how your progression or testing progression is going. Um, meaning like, the, are you, if, are you stuck in the place? Are you adding more stuff? So code coverage is a way to know which lines of code are uh, being you know, executed by tests. It's not a silver bullet. It, it won't give you like, you know, 100% confidence that all of the scenarios are tested. Uh, reaching like, you know, 100% code coverage is not like a realistic goal. Oftentimes it leads to, you know, unnecessary tests. Uh, but as a tool for knowing if if some code is not covered at all with tests, it's a good tool to know that you didn't really, you know, thought about or nobody has written a test for this uh, section of the code. And it's a good indication that you need to, you know, cover it with, with tests. Uh, and that's what code coverage is good for. So using that as a tool for like, okay, we have no tests in our project. We want to add code coverage to see that we don't have any tests, like 0%. Now we do an effort of like covering all the pure functions, let's say with tests. And it reach, and then we measure it. Uh, so we now add like, let's say 5% of our code, co- of our code covered with tests. Now we want to set this 5% as a minimum, meaning that if we go below 5%, it will fail the test and it will fail, the, like the build will fail. And that way we know that we're not adding more code without tests at least. So each time we get into this benchmark, each, 
end of the sprint, we measure how, many, how much code coverage and raise the bar of the minimum. And that way we force ourselves to take it more seriously. And that's why, where TDD comes into play. So another recommendation, once you get good at you know, figuring out the basics of testing, you want to start writing the tests for your bugs in a TDD way. Okay, so meaning you have a bug that you want need to fix, an unexpected bug, instead of just fixing it and then writing tests, first write a test that proves that the bugs that the bug exists. The test will fail because the bug exists. Then you fix the bug, you make the test pass, and just add the regression test, meaning you won't have any regression. Um, you know about this uh, or from this bug reappearing. If it will reappear, if someone somebody will change the logic again in the future, your test will fail, and you won't fail production. This bug won't ever won't return, okay? Because you have a test that covers it, and this is the automation. This is the robot that saves you from you know waking up in the night <laughs> and fixing production. Um, and such. So that's one recommendation on how to, you know, edit to existing projects. Plus, you know, you need to really think about adding smoke tests uh, for your um, uh, for your projects. But this is a whole different you know, topic that I teach about and also talk about. So that's a that's an but that's another recommendation for to reduce, you know, to get to zero critical bugs in your application and not just like uh, because you can cannot get to zero bugs right you will, will have bugs but you want to get to or to aspire to get to zero critical bugs meaning that the buy button works that the login and registration works all the critical parts in your app works no matter what you're doing if you did a refactoring or you switch state management solutions you didn't mess up the critical parts of your app and for this, you must use smoke test, like the developer written smoke test, and not just QA. But that's a whole different topic. But anyway, this is my recommendation. Can you reveal what we can expect at your presentation at NG Poland? So I'm going to talk about some of the stuff I mentioned today, uh, which regarding TDD. Like I, I said, that this is a habit you want to adopt as early as possible. But from the years of teaching it, I saw that people are doing it, are starting from the wrong um, step when they try to implement it. And what I want to reveal, I'm going to reveal one of the best techniques that I teach about that uh, you know uh, I used to charge a lot for to teach about, but I'm going to, just teach it just to share the knowledge because I want more people to gain the benefit from adopting this habit sooner. So I'm just going to reveal it, but I'm going to do it in a way that is unusual and, and you never seen before. Like you never saw this way. It's, you know, it's going to be crazy and fun and interactive and, uh, so I'm not going to reveal like everything now because I want to be a surprise for the attendees. 
But uh, yeah, it's going to be fun and educational. My last question for today's podcast. Two books you would recommend to our listeners. One technical and one non-technical. A good book uh, that I always recommend is a Growing Object-Oriented uh, Software Guided by Tess. I think it's a good book because uh, it's really thorough and um, it talks about like the the theory behind and also give practical examples and talks about how testing can be used as a code design tool, which is an interesting thing to think about and, and how mocks and all that stuff. It was written by, by um, the guys who actually came up with the term mock objects. Okay. They, they were the first one who used it. Um, so that's that's a great book to to maybe shift your thinking about tests as not only a confidence tool but also a co-design tool, which is great. Um, second book I would recommend a non-technical one is a book called Why We Sleep, and it's a book that uh, I so I'm not reading books that much. I'm more uh, of a listener to audiobooks. Uh, and it starts by saying, if you fall asleep during this book, it's okay, because this is the whole point of the book, uh, to to teach you that, you know, sleep is one of the most important things in your life. And it shows you, like, it's like a 20-year study of the impacts of uh, sleep and lack of sleep about your brain and diseases and concentration and memory all that stuff and efficiency like during the day to day. So since I, so before I read this book, I was sleeping five hours on average or four hours at night because I want to you know, make use of all the waking, like the time I'm awake and not, not to waste life. But after, you know, listening to this book, I started like sleeping uh, six, seven, eight, you know, try, I'm trying to do it um, because I, I see the benefits. I, I, I get much more done in a day when I sleep like eight hours than when I sleep five hours. You know, I'm not falling asleep on the computer and all that stuff. So it's a good book. It's a long one, but if you listen to it on like 2x speed, uh, it, it could be a life-changing book. Uh and another recommendation for a non-technical book, which I just got reminded of, is Nonviolent Communication, which is a great book for all type of, you know, your relationships, whether you're a parent with your kids, you have a spouse, uh, business partners, any type of relationship, that's a great book to read and to see how to communicate in a way that is more understanding and create less conflicts and bring people more together. Uh, actually, as a parent, it helps help me a lot with my kids of not getting into arguments uh, unnecessarily and not like uh, imposing myself and all that stuff uh, on them uh, and much more like uh, getting them to, you know, uh, do to do the necessary stuff for them without may forcing them to do it. 
so that's a great hack <laughs> to my life. So I want to recommend it as well. Shai, thank you for participating in today's podcast. You gave us a lot of interesting information. I'm looking forward to our meeting in Warsaw at this year's NG Poland and JS Poland conferences. Thanks, sir. Thanks. Thank you for uh, having me and uh, can't wait to see you soon in person after all these years. Yeah, exactly. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Finally, please subscribe to our podcast, leave a like and a comment to help us continue to grow.